You're listening to the Dietitian Cafe RDB podcast brought to you by New Ultra. My name is Lucy Deer and I'm a third year student dietitian. Through this podcast, we aim to share knowledge and inspire student dietitians and gain insight from knowledgeable and experienced guests. To celebrate Malnutrition Awareness Week, I'm delighted to be joined by registered dietitian Catherine Rabess to discuss the role of a community dietitian in addressing malnutrition. Catherine is an experienced registered dietitian, specialist in gastroenterology and complex nutrition support, with a focus on functional gut disorders including IBS, gastroparesis, colorectal surgery and inflammatory bowel disease. Catherine's expertise also covers undernutrition and enteral nutrition in the areas of bowel disease, neurological disabilities and conditions. Catherine works in the NHS as a clinical lead for a community nutrition and dietetic service and also in private practice providing one-to-one consultations. Driven by her passion of diversifying nutrition and dietetics and shaping the future workforce, Catherine is an active member of the BDA and a media spokesperson, where she provides evidence-based nutrition to media, featured in The Independent, the BBC and Women's Health, alongside her Instagram, at CathDietitian. In this episode, Catherine will share her career journey, including the ins and outs of being a community dietitian. We will also discuss the recognition, treatment and prevention of malnutrition in a community-dwelling population, as well as touching upon some themes of Malnutrition Awareness Week. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome Catherine to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today, Catherine. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to our chat. Absolutely. So can you start then by telling us a bit about your journey from student dietitian to your current roles as clinical lead community dietitian and freelance dietitian? Yeah, sure. So I started off, um, I studied at London Met. Um, So I've born and raised Londoner. I've basically never left London. Um, But I studied there. I did an undergrad Uh, for four years and um, I actually went off to work in Hertfordshire. The job situation in London was pretty tough as you can imagine and so I decided to go further afield and I went up to Hertfordshire and I worked as an acute dietitian for about a year and a half and that was a general uh, role which you know covered wards but also did a weekly clinic and I have been qualified for about 11 years so I couldn't tell you the ins and outs of my first role because it was so long ago Um, but from there I then moved back into working in London and I worked in a community role with so I worked with them when I first qualified as a band five and I've sort of come back to working with them again which is quite nice. Um, But in between that time, I've developed my um, skills within specialist nutrition, but also gastroenterology. I worked in one of the um, specialist gastro wards um, when I worked in East Surrey. So I did a bit of locum in as well, in between roles, did a bit of traveling. So my career has been quite varied, but um, I've always been drawn to coming back to working in the community and and I took this clinical lead role um, back with this trust in 2019 so I've been there since then Um, and in terms of my freelance work I I really just started picking that up in the last sort of two years or so um, taking on private clients but also doing you know brand partnership things and and all exciting stuff with media so so that's been great as well. That's brilliant. It sounds like you have a real mix of things going on at the moment. So I'm really curious as to what 
a typical work week looks like for you? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, so I work uh, four days a week in the NHS. Um, and in those days, I, I split my days, two days, which is clinical work. So I have a caseload of um, home enteral tube feeding patients, which is a variety of neuro neurological disabilities and disorders, as well as um, chronic malnutrition related to diseases such as bowel disease, um, as an example, or you know, um, pancreatitis as another. Um, and I see those on my two days of the week working in the NHS and I see, see all my patients in the community. Um, as we're still, you know, going through the pandemic, predominantly it is virtual, but we do go out and do essential home visits for those that are, um, you know, either house bed bound who are unable to be weighed so that we could weigh them with hoist scales or wheelchair beam scales. And then on my other day, um, I squeeze in doing freelance work and private practice. Um, and that's really varied world. I, I, I work alongside the Retrition Clinic as a um, specialist gut health dietitian, but I also see my own clients one-to-one -one too. So that's quite a nice, nice side of things. And I also work in a private hospital, which I completely forgot to mention. But that's um, that's more of an ad hoc. We're a team of sort of four and I, I tend to cover when they're short staffing, really. That's great. So you've got a lot of experience in a, a massive variety of things. So do you think dietitians must get this acute hospital experience before working in the community? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm such an advocate for the community. I love working in the community. I probably will stay in the community until I decide to retire from dietetics. Um, I think the, the reason why this seems to be quite a common occurrence for students is the fact that working in the hospital, you seem to get more exposure and, you know, it's a bit more fast paced um, in comparison to working in the community. However, the opportunities that arise working in the community, working in a multidisciplinary team, but also being able to learn from other staff members in a more um, holistic manner you know you're spending more time with those patients and you have a longer journey of care with them in comparison to working in an acute setting where it's a fast turnaround and, and often people are being discharged really quickly so I love that side of things and I think when you qualify as a dietitian it's important that you try and get exposure on both sides to then make that decision rather than just deciding that you have to work in a hospital first because you know the community the community is is such a great setting to to work in as well and you learn so so much it's great to hear you advocating so much for the community like you say a lot of dietitians might think that you know hospital setting is the way to go at first so it's great to hear that perspective what are the biggest challenges that community dietitians face when it comes to malnutrition so many. I think with the pandemic, we have seen a real rise in mental health illness um, and the unfortunate loneliness that has come about from this pandemic, which has impacted people's nutrition, appetite, and also the, the isolation of not seeking that support, fear of not seeking that support. Um, and what I have been finding is going out to see people, it's not just their nutrition that is 
is the barrier. There's so many other factors to think about, social factors, environmental factors, you know, looking at what their food provisions are or if they're able to even get out to the shops, do they feel safe with going to the shops now at this point in time? We as dietitians in the community, we often are not just focused on the eating and drinking. We have to take into consideration so many other things. Our district nurses going in to visit them, how many different how many different types of health professionals are seeing them, which could be impacting their nutrition too. Um, but I've, I've I've certainly seen that that's been the biggest challenge in the last eighteen months, trying to support people that are, are suffering really with with mental health illnesses. So you mentioned district nurses there. Um, Do you have much interaction with other members of the MDT when you're in that community setting? Every day. Even just before I got on the phone to you, Lucy, I was in contact with um, continuing care. So continuing care is essentially a service which is provided by the NHS to support people that need health care and carers at home. Um, And Often I spend my time speaking to care agencies, um, district nurses, speaking to speak. I work very closely with speech and language therapists in the community because for us to be able to do our job, we need to ensure that all the correct provisions are put in place. Yesterday, I even had to refer somebody to physiotherapy because she had kept having falls Um, and I had a long chat with them about this person and we regularly have MDTs as well because I work under a neuro rehab service too um, we have regular MDTs to to discuss our our patients so yeah lots lots and lots and lots every day that's great Um, and I think everybody will be able to hear the passion that you have for for Ditex as a whole but community Ditex in particular What do you most enjoy about working in the community? I quite like the flexibility of working in the community and the just being autonomous within my own caseload and within my own practice. I would say that working in the community, you do need to have a level of autonomy because you are out going to see people on your own. Yes, you have a lone worker policy, you have a buddy system, you know, we have all of those things in place, but ultimately you are going out to see these people on your own and you could be faced with so many different things when you turn up at their home but I love that about my job I love being able to help people at home and keeping them at home Um, you know as our population is aging which is incredible many are so scared to go to the hospital and even more so with COVID that I have a real passion about trying to keep people at home and supporting them the best way they can at home without having them going into hospitals so particularly with home entry tube feeding where you know we we can manage manage those situations at home too so as we're talking now we are midway through malnutrition awareness week do you think it's important that students engage with these kind of events completely yeah there's not enough of us is there i mean it's it's such a nice uh, community that we've got between RDs to be and dietitians that the more of us the better and raising that awareness is so so key um, particularly because of all the pseudoscience out there and the nutrition nonsense that we see um, there's a lot of people giving you know 
unsafe, unlicited advice, we need to continue to raise our profile and, and, and continue to talk about things like malnutrition because it is such such a problem within within the UK. So what can students be doing to contribute to these public health campaigns? Social media is a great one. Um, and I have certainly noticed how much certain posts that I have put up have raised awareness and also made started conversations it's about starting those conversations and people feeling like oh yes this maybe this is something that's happening with with my sister or my mum or my my uh, granddad and actually maybe I should get and speak to the doctors about this it, I think it's so so key because we spend so much time on social media um we it's a great way of 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 raising awareness and getting you know the public's attention so speaking of social media there, you mentioned about using it in a safe way that's delivering the right message. What is your advice for student dietitians when using social media? Really good question. Um, I think it's so important that you work within your remit of practice. You are still a student and learning so, so much. But just remember that you are still a student always leave a disclaimer stating that you are a student and it's important if you are providing any advice that you explain to people to seek you know professional advice from a qualified from a qualified uh, medical professional um and you sh- should not really be giving out dietary advice specifically if it's not within your remit um, so that's so, so key. But I wanted to go back to your question about, you know, contributing to the public health. And I think even working in the local communities, we've seen a real drive with people wanting to get back into their local communities, shopping locally, you know, doing more things which are on your doorstep. And I think that's also a really good way of raising awareness by doing things to, your, you know, volunteering and doing things locally. That's a great point and definitely really useful advice for you know students looking to get involved in different things so are there any useful tools and resources that you use to detect and treat malnutrition in the community during covid obviously while remote working yeah we were quite for our service we still remained an essential service because of malnutrition but of course we've pulled right back in terms of our face-to-face appointments um with our home entry tube feeding patients we're still seeing them in the community but one thing we did do was really lean on our the patient's family members and carers, you know, asking them to, whether it be buying scales for home or, you know, if possible, if they have scales weighing themselves, yes, okay, it's not, they may not be calibrated and as accurate, but sometimes it's about just trying to paint the picture. Um, And alongside that, there is the RMAP app, which is the remote malnutrition application for primary practice. Um, And that's a really useful tool. Haven't used it as much, but on occasions when I have, it's been really helpful, which helps to identify risk factors to malnutrition. So, you know, aging, cancer, diabetes, if they've got flu or COVID, um, COPD, inflammatory bowel disease, pressure sores, these sorts of things. Um, And using that alongside the MUST screening tool and the sarcopenia screening tool, which is SARC-F, and using that as an identifier for people who may be at risk. Within our team, we have 
got to a point where we keep asking those questions and sometimes it's the subjective questions which we use to help identify in in this sort of time when we're remote working so thinking about outside the box not just focusing on the weight which you may not have available to you but asking those other questions about food provisions how their clothes fit things like that brilliant so as part of malnutrition awareness week this year Bapen are asking us to ask look and listen to help find people who are at risk of malnutrition what does ask look and listen mean in clinical practice to you Great question, Lucy. Uh, working in the community it is imperative that we do this every day. We're doing this for every patient we see. Um, and that's because it's not the same as working in the acute where you have everything there for you. You have your medical notes, you have your bloods, you, you know, you have what is needed to be able to paint the picture. Whereas in the community, you have to go looking for it um, and ask you know, asking those questions. So we're thinking about speaking to next of kin, speaking to carers, speaking to the actual person, finding out about their appetite, who does their shopping. I'd be thinking about food preparation. Do they do online food shopping or can they get to the shops? How far is the shop from them? Is that a barrier? All these types of questions I would be wanting to ask. Um, and I'd be I guess working in the community, you you have the home environment, don't you? So I can actually look and see what I can ask to look in the fridge. I can ask to, um, you know, look out for potentially if their clothes are looser on them, if their jewellery is not fitting as well. One of my favourite questions when I'm not able to weigh is whether their their belt buckle, if they've had to go up a notch or, um, you know, thinking about whether they're asking if their skin's slightly looser or, or these sort of visual signs of unplanned weight loss are, are really important. And then listening, so, so key. And I think as dietitians, we're very fortunate that we are trained to learn about behaviour change and focusing on listening attentively, whether that be verbally or non-verbally, but looking out for those cues, really trying to understand about body language, changes in behaviour specifically when talking about food if it becomes an uncomfortable conversation digging deeper to find out why but not just focusing on what have you had to eat today and just what's in their diet because actually we may be seeing people that haven't seen somebody for months and with the pandemic it could be even years like that could actually be realistic for some of these people especially in the older population who have been isolating and those vulnerable people who haven't been able who've had had to shield sorry um so just taking the time to listen if they want to have a chat about what's on tv or just mindless conversation i think it that's also important because it helps to shape the the appointment and also gives that person a feeling of that they're being listened to which hopefully helps them to open up a bit more and engage more to seeing a dietitian and wanting to follow the plan that's brilliant advice I'm sure people will get a lot out of that and when you mentioned COVID there about it being a real possibility that people haven't seen other people for years at this point have you noticed an increase in food insecurity and problems accessing food in the community since COVID and how can we as dietitians help address that issue? 
Yes, I have. Uh, we are very, where I am in Southwest, uh, we're very fortunate that we have Age UK, which plays a really key role in supporting people in our in our borough, um, particularly because during the the height of the pandemic they were providing welfare checks they were actually supporting with giving people food free food donations taking the food from the food banks to to people's homes who were unable to go to get to food banks to get it which was great and we worked very closely with them to set up a referral pathway to support those types of patients who were very vulnerable and not and you know having difficulties with accessing food many lost their jobs and were furloughed and actually as you know you know food banks were so so busy during during the 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 height of it and it's about making signposting people and being aware we also have uh where i am wimbledon guild which has a, a fantastic charity which provides so many different types of um community projects whether it be winter keeping warm projects or support with talking therapies or advice with you know providing vouchers for food banks these sorts of things are so key and actually working with local organizations and charities so that we know what's available to our patients in in the where they live it really has helped with uh, addressing those those things that's really interesting it sounds like a really effective way to work with you know who's available to you in the community to to make those connections and help people that way so now that we're heading into winter what sorts of advice do you give to your community patients to ensure that they're winter ready? Yeah, it is it's tough for many of them, particularly with the potential rise in the, you know, the gas bills. Um I guess for for now I try and advise about stocking up, you know, making sure they have lots of whether it be tin foods or, you know, imperishable foods that they can keep at home, um, but making sure that they have, you know lots of blankets for home but also checking if they do potentially have you know heaters or if they've got family members that can support with providing those things to them I spoke before but with Wimbledon Guild where I am they also provide an amazing um they provide an amazing service like a, a winter service to support those that are vulnerable during this time um, and I would always signpost my patients to them I think it's just key that you are aware of what local organizations are available to where you are I of course can only speak for where I am and where I work but as RDs to be just thinking about that when you go into a role especially if you're going to work in the community build those relationships those stakeholders networking invite them into your meetings you know build referral pathways so that the same they you they can refer into you so that you you know you can support with referring out to them is 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 really important so do you find that dehydration is an issue amongst your patients yes it is Often due to toileting, actually, and um, not so much that they don't want to drink. They've 
just chosen not to because whether they can't get to the toilet quick enough because of incontinence or their weight, you know, if they're bedbound and they're waiting for carers to come to to do personal care, that is a real barrier to wanting to drink more, which can lead to dehydration. Um, and a reason why I work so closely with continuing care and care agencies um, and even community nurses to see how we can support those patients, whether it be, you know, working with a continence team to ensure that they have the correct type of equipment, you know, whether it be a convene or a bottle or whatever it may be, the correct type of pad so they feel comfortable to know that they can then go to toilet it's I guess you're seeing the trend here where we have to work with so many other services to ensure that we can then address you know break down those barriers to then support that patient um but yes dehydration is often is often a concern in those sorts of instances would you often speak to carers and family members and what sort of advice would you give to them to help their loved ones stay hydrated we would usually suggest um there's a really great leaflet that we use called hydration boosters and it's not just focusing on increasing their water intake or their fluid intake but actually looking at other types of foods which have quite a high water content so whether it be like tin fruit or offering them some other types of uh, i can't think of the top of my head but you know other types of suggestions that means that it's not just that they have to drink more but trying to incorporate other foods as well Um, of course making sure that they have you know drinks readily available at their bedside if they are in bed or on their tables so that they have quick access to maybe trying to find out a bit more from what the patient actually likes because sometimes they just don't want to drink water so maybe it is squash or teas or coffees of course we should try and encourage more with water but ultimately if somebody doesn't like water there's you know there's no point trying to encourage with that it's about thinking about other options but things like soup as well you know I know it's colder now so you know stews and things are a great way of getting extra extra fluid into um but also you can think about summertime you know ice lollies and ice creams and yogurts and things like that are another thing to think about that's great advice and definitely useful to sort of think outside the box and come up with these ideas that are suitable for whoever that you see in um so this year Bapen are asking us to share our nutrition superheroes so can you tell us a little bit about a dietitian that inspires you yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> um, you know, within my team, actually, and she is our band five dietitian and she's a newly qualified dietitian and she's incredible. She has got a real passion about mindfulness. She's our mental health minder within our within our trust and she's actually training to do her mindfulness training so that she can then support our community and people that are referred into us to provide mindfulness particularly thinking about our IBS patients too and all of these things she's doing her name's Rebecca um, and I'm, I'm hoping she'll hear this but all of these things she's doing outside of her normal nine to five job which I find so inspiring you know as a band five I just about got my head around my job and the fact that she's taken on these additional courses you know she's done trauma-informed care or we 
as a service, we are so enriched with all these additional qualifications um, from her, but amongst others as well, that it really allows us to provide our patients with first class care. So she inspires me. That's great to hear. She sounds great. And I do hope she's listening. I hope she heard that, that lovely, lovely words you had to say. So do you have any top tips for student dietitians interested in nutrition support? Get some shadowing, for sure. Uh, I think with nutrition support, it is a challenge because you are faced, I won't lie to you, you are faced with the CCGs, you know, the clinical commissioning groups who run the budgets. They are very much trying to be cost effective and save money. And you often are really trying to have a balance between supporting your patients with nutrition, but also appropriate prescribing. So I think for student dietitians who are interested, please get some shadowing experience so you understand what it is, what nutrition support is. And and remembering it's not just about supplements. There is the food first approach, you know, different types of recipes, uh, which a lot of the team get involved with creating and making um, understanding about your community and what the population is and who you're representing if that is an area you want to to work in it's important you understand about cultural diets and you know religions and traditional foods so that you can provide a nutrition support guidance based on those things too so I think shadowing is is the first thing and, and I think the next thing is just make you know having those opportunities when you are studying to to hopefully ask for those things do ask for those opportunities don't wait for them to come to you because the likelihood that they will is quite low so just 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 ask there's no harm in asking that's great advice thank you so much Um, So our podcast then is created for student dietitians. So if you could go back in time and give advice to your student self, knowing everything you know now with your years of experience, what would that advice be? Get some creative business experience, 100%. That's, That's literally, I wish I had that when I studied more advice on business acumen, um, not just because I work in private practice and I freelance, but I just think for anybody to understand, understand about pensions, understand about, you know, all these different things is so important. I'm not trying to, I'm not, not aging myself or anything, but a lot of this stuff, retirement, yes, it's years and years away, but I think it's important to understand about about the business side of healthcare um, and, you know, learning more about creative side of things, you know, whether it be social media or whether it be uh, learning a bit more about how to engage with the population via public health. I know that that's changing now and students now do have their public health placements, which is fantastic. And they also have placements that are outside of clinical, but do, do, do get experience within, you know, with business and and creativity brilliant so thank you so much for your time today Catherine and for sharing your valuable experience with us Catherine's social media handles will be linked in the show notes for you to have a look at to keep up with her work you have a fantastic Instagram account that will link so a huge thank you to New Altra as well for making this podcast possible 
If you did enjoy listening to the Dietitian Cafe RD2B podcast today, please consider subscribing and leaving a review or a five-star rating so that we can reach even more RD2Bs. You can also follow Nualtra on social media at Nualtra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. So thank you everyone for listening and our next episode will be out soon.